That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday. To give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, welcome everybody back to Same Old Song. Jake, how you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, it is, uh, we're talking about the fourth Sunday of Lent, so I'm really excited about that. And, um, you know, just kind of uh, progressing in my sanctification. How are you? I could tell because you look great. I wish everybody yeah. could see. This should be a video <laughs> podcast because uh, you look really wonderful, very Protestant. Jake this... is wearing a gingham checkered <laughs> button-down shirt, a nice uh, mm-hmm. sweater, and a navy blazer. Yeah, and so and uh, this is what happens when you only eat chocolate for 40 days. So uh, this is great. So that is my Lenten discipline, only eating chocolate for 40 days. I'm um, only eating things that have no shelf life, that they are so full of preservatives. Good. they would. Ne- I'm so full of salt right now, I can hear the water just sloshing around inside mm, me. I want to mm. gain weight during Lent, but only water weight. So no, it's a good. fine, good. fine balance. Swollen. <laughs> I, you look swollen, but a I, good swollen. But mostly around my neck. It's just the glands. <laughs> it's just I'm trying to secrete all these toxins. Anyways, all right. Well, this is uh, this is the time of year, and uh, um, when we do these things, and um, we are in Joshua chapter five in our Old Testament reading, which is uh, very very powerful, and uh, it ties into the collect. Um, Joshua chapter 5, which is uh, gracious Father, whose blessed Son, Jesus Christ, came down from heaven to be the true bread which gives life to the world. And Joshua chapter 5 is a very important chapter in the book of Joshua, where Joshua is compared in several places uh, to uh, Moses. And here they come to uh, just right on the edge, and uh, they're in Canaan, and they are about to celebrate the Passover. But before that, they have to be circumcised because that is a sign of the covenant. And evidently in Egypt, uh, maybe they were just having partial circumcisions. They were or, getting sloppy, Jake. They were getting sloppy. They weren't uh, high on the sanctification levels like I am. Yep. And uh, and so um, I was circumcised last week. But uh, no, <laughs> For the fifth time. There's not much left. <laughs> you can never really be circumcised too much. But, we got to edit. Um, we're clearly, you're going to have to edit this out. <laughs> Why? (laughs) (laughs) It's the best part. That's why they're here, Jake. This is why they're here. Keep them listening. Keep them listening. But no, this is what this is what happened. So a lot of people are like, "What do you mean, rolled away from you from you the disgrace of Egypt at the so that place is called Gilgal to this day? The disgrace of Egypt was is that basically in a lot of ways." While Israel was living in Goshen and was separated, they were shepherds, they had adopted a lot of probably some of the uh, Egyptian practices. And one of those was um, not doing Walking like an Egyptian. Walking like, that's good. (laughs) Not as good as a circumcision joke. But anyway, they had... they had uh, like kind of like neglected the practice, and either they were doing it as adults, and uh, you know as the Egyptians did, or whatnot. But that wasn't in in line with the covenant practice. And so here they're about to celebrate the Passover for the first time in the land of Canaan, 
But before that, um, they are um, going to have the disgrace of Egypt ruled away from them by being brought back into the covenant community through this act of circumcision. Yeah, and what's interesting, I mean, this is one of those hard passages in that it begins right in the middle of a very long story, and the lectionary doesn't do us a ton of favors because it gives us zero background, but you'd have to read a bunch of chapters to do that. So, yeah, the idea here, it's good news. They've just finally arrived. God's promises have come true. Uh, They're in the land flowing with milk and honey. They have just moved into their furnished four-bedroom apartment that they didn't have to do anything except wander a while to get to. The Canaanites and the Amorites have been kicked out. So that's why they can eat right away, because there were people tilling the land. There was already stuff growing. And so they can get rid of the the manna. That's done with, and they can celebrate the Passover. But they do have to kind of get back on track um, and have this circumcision. So if you were going to preach this, Jake, what would you emphasize? Yeah, um... Uh, I would uh, talk about, well, you never can talk too much about circumcision. People love it. But, uh, it's what brings the young would, families in. That's right. <laughs> Always got to get the young so, people in church. So, um, no, but I would talk about basically, you know, kind of the idea of, first of all, that God had provided for them and then God has gotten them to the land and, um, and being identified as part of the land in the old covenant um, was, um, was, was to be circumcised. But I would use it as a segue <laughs> uh, into Second uh, Corinthians chapter five, verses sixteen through twenty-one. I wouldn't, I wouldn't stay too long in Joshua. I would move um, unless you're going to preach the whole chapter. Yeah. And uh, so I would use that as a, a way to move into Second Corinthians chapter five, verses sixteen through twenty-one, where Paul says, "From now on, we regard no one from a human point of view." Um, there is now uh, in in this new covenant. Uh, the old covenant represented with circumcision and the law. This new covenant is rec- represented by Jesus, who is the fulfillment of circumcision and grace. And so, and uh, they once even knew him from a human point of view, and they said, Messiah, are you kidding me? Yeah. Uh, not on your life. Um, and so, uh, but now they no longer regard him that way. Why? Because he rose from the dead. And so, um, but but Paul begins to talk about this idea: if anyone is in Christ, there's a, they're a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. Now the problem yeah. is, is preacher, you want to quantify it, and what is the problem with that, there, Aaron? Uh, so people want to quantify it. They want to look. They want to find ways to measure how much of a new creation you are. Um, people take this verse 17, if any was in Christ, there's a new creation, everything old has passed away, everything has become new. And they want to look at the life of the Christian and say, hey, I still see sin in your life. You must not be a real Christian. You must not be a fully recreated new creation kind of person. Um, and, uh, they, they divorce it from the verse that's coming next. He says, all this is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ. So this is a done deal. Uh, you are a new creation. If Jesus Christ is dead and raised, which we know he is, uh, then this is completed. So there's a sense in which we have to uh, live in time and in process as God is working this out for us. All the sins that we have committed prior to knowing Christ after knowing Christ, it's all passed away. We're a new creation, but we're still, you know, living in this life um, and working out our salvation with fear and trembling, as as Paul says. So, uh, I, I mean, I think that's where I would um, go with this: is to talk about 
Um, we don't judge from a human point of view. Uh, if you're looking at people's sins and trying to judge whether or not they're sanctified, measure their sanctification, again, that's a very human job. Uh, that's a very human perspective as opposed to looking at the heart um, because God is the one who knows what's actually going on. So yeah. you could have somebody that looks totally righteous on the outside, like you, but inside just be dark. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, and Paul says that all I of this... Notice, listeners, that has... Jake didn't contradict what I said about his interior darkness. He was like, yes, yes, I am. I showed my kids the Twilight so, Zone. <laughs> Everything has become new, Paul says, and all of this is from God, who has reconciled us, past tense, to himself through Christ. And then he tells you what your job is. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, right. here's your message, not uh, how you can measure whether you're a new creation, but in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and yeah. entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. Um, this is a very powerful thing. I mean, it is Christ who's doing the reconciliation. And that, dear reader, is your message. We're not looking for circumcision. We're not looking for signs of your worthiness and sanctification. What we are doing is preaching the message of reconciliation because we are no longer regarding people by the outside, That's um, right. but rather by what Christ has done for them. And uh, this is at the heartbeat of what it is to be an ambassador for Christ. Um, I remember, and I use this illustration all the time, but uh, and I'll probably use it this Sunday, but I remember one time I went to a, we um, sponsor like an organization called Mustard Seed that supports orphanages in the Caribbean. And uh, I was invited to their like banquet, and the speaker that day was the ambassador to the United States from Jamaica. And uh, evidently there was something going on in Jamaica where a number of the expats were unhappy. And uh, people kept asking her questions after her speech, and she kept referring to the position of the prime minister. And finally someone said, well, we don't care what the prime minister thinks, we want to know what you think. And she said, that's not my job. My job as the ambassador is to deliver the message of the prime minister. That's right. And, uh, you know, that's our job as ambassadors. We're not there to, like, measure and count fruit and, uh, and uh, do all of these things from a human point of view. The entire world is ending outside of my office right now. But, I hear um, it. <laughs> if you can hear the sirens and stuff like that. So, but... Um, but we deliver this message. That is our job, not to give our opinions, but the message that Christ has reconciled the world to himself. So, uh, you know, dear preacher, quit, quit, quit throwing in your opinion or your thoughts on how they can improve their new creationship and just give them Christ. That's the whole thing, that to be reconciled. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. I mean, this text really just preaches itself. But what do you think about that passage, that line right there, Aaron? Well, so what is incredible here is that this text shows to me the unfairness, the beautiful, merciful unfairness of God compared to our world, which is so obsessed with fairness and people getting what they deserve. Uh, and um, I don't know if you listened to the Mockingcast a few weeks ago, but uh, Sarah and Dave and RJ were talking about this Invisibilia podcast, which mm -hmm. I just listened to, about um, call-out culture, where somebody does something offensive and you call them out online and basically publicly shame them. And what's fascinating about it is that a person who is doing the call-outs then gets called out themselves. And I think a problem that a lot of people have is they really like pointing out the sins of others, um, their views that they don't agree with or the actions they've done. And not to say that they're not legitimate 
sins. Often they are. But God, it says here, doesn't count our sins against us. Um, that's what it says uh, in verse 19. But then in verse 21, he actually puts our sins on Christ. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. And it's a, it's stronger. It's, you know, we talk about sometimes this idea of God, uh, you know, Jesus dying for our sins. In some, some ways, our sins are viewed as being placed upon Christ's shoulders. That's how people talk about it sometimes. But what's always struck me about this verse is that it talks about um, he, God made Christ to be sin. It's like a complete identification. And it's an unbelievable thing. And here's the, the innocent suffering uh, lamb of God who takes, not only does he take on the sin, it says he, he made him to be sin. And the result is that we become the righteousness of God. And I, that blows my mind. I mean, I think yeah. here there are a lot of people, and maybe some of you listeners have issues with the uh, theory of the atonement uh, in which, you know, our sins are put on Christ. And there's this uh, way it's often described, I think, sort of ham-fistedly divine child abuse. And you and I have talked about this before, Jake, that, you know, God yeah. is this angry dad, uh, you know, taking his anger at us out on his son. And which is, first of all, that's bad Trinitarian theology. Christ was crucified before the foundations of the world. This was always part of the plan. Um, this is not God the Father doing something to God the Son. This is the Trinity acting out the plan from the beginning. But uh, I think one thing you can't escape here is this idea that Christ willingly, and we're going to see this as we go through Lent and Jesus moves to Jerusalem, but uh, Christ willingly does this work of taking our sin, not just on himself, but as this passage says, into himself to be sin, uh, mm -hmm. to cleanse us from that which we can't uh, can't clean ourselves on our own. That's yeah, what I think about I that, mean, Jake. Would you want, I mean... I mean, we've, we've said a lot. I mean, you can preach till the cows come home on this passage. I mean... This is, uh, I mean, this is just, the, the, the truth is, is that all, the gap between who I want to be and who I actually am is real. You know, I mean, we joked about sanctification and stuff earlier, but there, there, is, there is a real gap between who I am and who I want to be. And in this, Jesus becoming sin, he who knew no sin, the one who was totally actualized, um, uh, became, uh, stood in that gap. So that um, uh, God might know me as I am and love me as I am so that I might actually be free to be who he created me to be. And, mm. um, and this is, a, this is, a, this is a, just a powerful, gracious insight, especially on the fourth Sunday of Lent. And, uh, and you really see how all of this is possible in this amazing parable in Luke chapter 15. Uh, yeah, Jake, and I'm not really familiar with this parable, so you're going to have to do most. I've never read this before. No, this <laughs> yeah. is Luke 15, Prodigal Son. Uh, da, da, da. Yeah. Now, it's key. You don't want to pass. So you don't want to pass over the setting. Um, um, Jesus has in 50, chapter 15 has already, um, it says one through three, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. Yeah. So these are the folks coming, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling, saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. And Jesus told them this parable. So this parable isn't directed to the tax collectors and sinners. This parable is directed to the Pharisees and the scribes. And in the greater context of Luke chapter 15, he begins with the parable of the uh, lost sheep and then the parable of the lost coin. So it's moving all the way down. 
And then we come to the parable of the elder brother. Yeah, and uh, so really, just, that's just, how this is. It's not so much the prodigal son as the elder brother, but you knew that. Yes, I did. So. I did. I did. <laughs> and you know, you know, remind your listeners, folks, that even the titles that their Bible gives to certain passages, certain pericopes, although none of them know that word, the title that your Bible may give, the parable of the prodigal son, etc. Those those were not original to the text. Those are not divinely inspired, nor are the chapter numbers or chapter verses. All that stuff was added later, uh, even some of the punctuation. So you can teach your people to be biblically astute as they read this. But yeah. you're, you're right. So I think, yeah, picturing the context in which Jesus is saying these things is important. You got to envision tax collectors and sinners and Pharisees. So you got to envision like hell's angels and the church lady all these folks are kind of That's gathering right. around Jesus and it's the it's the church ladies and the Ned Flanders but the judgmental Ned Flanders like the you know just the the real kind of horrible folks mm. uh, who are angry at Jesus being nice to sinners are grumbling and we can't believe he hangs out with these folks and so it's the, so it's right then Jesus opens his mouth and you said tells those two earlier parables and then this one uh, and so there's a lot we could say. I mean, there's so much here, this, but what do we, what yeah. do you want to well, say, this, Jake? This parable, I mean, this parable is very powerful because this takes it and Jesus, you know, I, I almost think the first two parables are almost like the distraction. Yeah. Like look over here because he's about to clobber them with a left hook. Um, and, uh, or <laughs> not right that Jesus and, would ever hit anybody, but, uh, you know, um, he might make a chord but anyway uh, <laughs> he might. Uh, so what uh, uh he, but this is really he's getting at the heart of it and he talks about two uh a man with two sons we all know that the, the um the issue and uh, that the the uh, youngest son basically comes up to the dad and is like give me my inheritance right now which you know means I mean? sell everything. Like to get oh, your my inheritance, you have to sell your stuff. Not only sell everything, but Dad, I actually uh, it's 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 more prof- it's it's. I wish you were dead. Yeah, that's where we're at. I wish you were dead, and uh, this this becomes the issue. So literally, and you check this out in any Near Eastern culture. Um, there was a great book um, by. Um, Oh, anyway, it, Dan it, Brown it slips my mind. Yeah, Dan Brown. We'll we'll we'll, we'll put it up sometime. But anyway. Um, and he talks about how he did all of this um, research and uh, f- um, in the Middle East and found that like most fathers would have their sons killed if they asked for the inheritance beforehand. This is kind of the level of insult that we're talking. And so when he's given all of this land and he goes off to a far, far place, uh, worse than Vegas, and he basically um, he it's slanders like it Buffalo, all. It's like Buffalo, New York. No, yeah, he goes to Buffalo, New York. He goes to... He goes to um, uh, Mohegan Sun <laughs> and uh, in Mohegan, New York, and he spends all of it away, squanders it on ladies and uh, lobster dinners. And um, let's not and, forget uh, bacon wrapped filet mignon. Yeah, and he gets to the point where he can't even like uh, uh, eat the pods from pigs. You know, this is how low he's he has sunk. Literally, what um, uh, Jesus is illustrating here is that this younger son who's wished his father dead is now. Um, uh, um, asking for, uh, uh, he's now dead too, essentially. Yeah, that's right. And he comes to himself. He has this big realization. And nobody's better on this parable than uh, Robert Farrah Capon. Yeah, that's right. Read, uh, and is that in Kingdom, Kingdom, Grace, and Judgment, Jake? Yes, it is. It if is. we had show notes, we'd put it in there. But Robert Farrah Capon, Kingdom, Grace, and Judgment, uh, he, he does an incredible job here. So uh, 
he's he has his realization i will come and i will repent and i will go back to my father and i'll give this long speech where i really grovel so he knows how bad i am and i will be content just to be your servant not your son boom and this is how most people want to approach god you know what i mean i you know i know i've really messed up and i know i've like had issues and you know i'm just going to really work and i'm going to be a good little boy from here on out and i'm going to be your slave that's right. This is how most people are approaching Lent. This is how everybody's just, this is how religious people approach their relationship to God. God will finally be glad with me. I'll get it right mm-hmm. this time. So he goes to see his father. He's walking. And this is, again, this is one of many amazing things in the story. The father is already looking for him. The father has essentially already forgiven him before he's even said anything. Because while the son is still far off, his father sees him, is filled with compassion, not anger, not rage. I mean, think about when your kid has been arrested for drunk driving, comes home, they open the door. You're usually not filled with compassion. They've wrecked your car. They've damaged your reputation. This this son has done any way worse than anything you could ever think of. But while the, while the son is still far off, the father sees him, is filled with compassion, and runs to him. And again, talking about ancient Near, East, Near, Eastern, Near Eastern fathers, and to this day, you're never going to see uh, a father running like this. I mean, it's just not dignified. It's not done. You know, most cultures of the world, men uh, don't wear short pants. You know, there's still like this culture of dignity around what it means to be a man. I'm always amazed when I go visit my family in Mexico. Like, the dudes don't wear pants. Like, I mean, don't wear yeah. shorts. They, they do wear pants. Um uh, and so there's kind of this I- idea of, of kind of dignified masculinity and, mm-hmm. and, and the, the father just gets up and runs in his robes uh, to his son and embraces him and kisses him. So the forgiveness has already happened is what that means. Yes. Before the son has, has given his speech about how good he's going to be from now mm-hmm. on. And, uh, and then he is quickly bring a robe, the best one. He's covered in his father's righteousness. He's given in the ring his father's authority. And then uh, he is given sandals because uh, um, only slaves wander around barefoot. And so he is uh, put, um, um, you know, he's put back onto the, the to the tier of a son. Yeah. And uh, this is all possible because a fatted calf uh, is killed and uh, let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he was found and they began to celebrate. And this really, this meal, um, kind of one of the the great illustrations that's going on here is that the son is actually also being reconciled to the community and so to something bigger than himself. And so through the embarrassment and humiliation of the father, Mm -hmm. the son now is reconciled uh, to the entire community. And here we come to the pitch. Yeah, this is, as you said, this is all kind of a setup for this thing. I mean, there's this incredible party. The son's been welcomed home. Uh, We can hear uh, the DJ uh, playing. um, And then the son comes in from the field. The older brother is in the field, and he hears the music uh, and the dancing. And um, he asks a slave to find out what's going on. And tells him what's happened and the brother is furious that his father has been so generous to this no mm-hmm. good no account cletus the slack jawed yokel <laughs> little brother uh i love it too i mean jesus just takes he says when this son of yours came back who has devoured your property with, with prostitutes. prostitutes i mean it's like you killed the fatted calf for him 
in that in that verse hear that deep resentment yeah of radical radical grace yeah the and people don't like grace when they feel Mm -hmm. like they're fulfilling the law um and uh uh this um but this is what god is like uh again he's not fair uh Mm. he 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 is just, but that justice is brought on Christ uh, mm. so that he might be gracious to us. Um, that's right. And that's that's articulated by the father here. Then the father said, son, you're always with me, and, but we had to celebrate because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. Basically, what he's saying here is that, uh, son, when your uh, younger brother asked for my property, I died. Uh, your son was dead. Now, and Capon makes this point, come die with us and join the party. You yeah, know what I mean? That's right. Die and it's Miller time. Yeah. And uh, he was lost and has been found. And um, it's interesting that it doesn't say what happens next. Right. You know what I mean? But you know what's going to happen next because the Pharisees begin to plot and kill him. Right, yeah. So the Pharisees, they're given here a chance to hear because they've asked, how can Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? And and Jesus is saying, look, this is how I do it I because mm-hmm. I... I bear the cost in me. So in this story, it's important to to let your listeners know the father has already borne the cost. He mm-hmm. has he had to sell his property so that he could liquid liquid uh, liquidate it and give money to the son. And now the father has lost all that money, basically because yep. his son waits. So the father has paid the price himself. The son didn't pay the price. The father has paid the price, and. That act of, you know, the Father here being God, God bearing in his own self, as we said in the Second Corinthians passage, like becoming sin, like the Father taking the, the consequences, the Father taking the blows, the Father receiving uh, the losing end of the deal here. This, that's what the crucifixion is about, and that's what this Father is demonstrating in the story. And so because he takes the cost, he's able to then be gracious and merciful to uh, the Son, and uh, of course God is able to be gracious to us. Um, and, uh, what Jesus wants his pharisaical hearers to get here is a couple of things. One, they have been outside. They have not been in relationship with the father. That's why the son is outside working. Uh, so neither of these sons interestingly have a relationship with the father. Mm-hmm. They just have lost that relationship for different reasons. One, because he's out sinning. The other, because he's out sinning in a different way by just working really hard and trying to earn his father's approval or something like that. So he's he's just as much lost. He's outside. Uh, and also, um, he's clearly never even approached his father about asking for a young goat and a celebration or whatever. All he's been, yeah. all, all he thinks his father is, is an accountant. That's the way he sees his dad, not as a loving father, just someone who only likes people who are slaves. For these years, I've been working like a slave for you. I've never disobeyed you. You didn't give me anything. Well, it's like you didn't understand your father. You didn't know him. Mm. You don't know what God is like. Um, Mm. And so he's just as much lost and maybe even Mm. more so. Um, Yeah. I I really would encourage people to do a dramatic monologue of this. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Uh, I was like... uh, I hope he's kidding. <laughs> yep, I am. But uh, I have seen it done, and it's horrible. I will so say, preachers do, out there who it. get yeah, if you get creative liturgically, 
you got to quench that spirit. That is not yeah. the Holy Spirit talking. You, you know, if you are a Juilliard trained Yale School of Drama quality actor who's spent your life in front of crowds, maybe, maybe you could try it. But I guarantee you, most of the folks out there in your congregation to do the dramatic reading, it will be the worst. Yeah, but if not, you know, which is is the case. Um, you just uh, give them the goods and let them know who their father is mm. because it's lent for and they're going to be struggling and they're going to be um, they're going to be thinking their ta- their, their their father their that God's a taskmaster but instead he's a loving father and invite them around to celebrate around that table where there's not a fatted calf but the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and um, and that is the good news of the gospel on the fourth uh, Sunday of Lent. And I, you know, we're recording this pre-Lent, so I can say hallelujah, because that is awesome, and that will preach, and you just take that all the way to the bank, you take it all the way to the altar, that is the good news, and uh, so um, pre-Lent, hallelujah, in Lent, uh, don't say it, but uh, we love you, and God does too. Thanks, Jake. Amen. Bye. Peace. Thanks for listening to Same Old Song, and we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you like what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We'd like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.